I have brains. You have? Yeah, I have brains I haven't even used yet. Do you like to love? No. Like to kiss? No. <laughs> what do you like? Lamb chunks. Meet Gracie Allen, known in the day as a dumb Dora type, or Dizzy. She was part of a comedy duo called Burns and Allen. Her partner on stage and in life George Burns. Well, I wouldn't brag about it. That came right out of my own head. I'd have it stuffed. They were on the radio back in the golden age of radio before television in the 1930s and 40s. Calling George Burns and Gracie Allen. The show was called The Adventures of Gracie in the 30s, but switched to its much more well-known name as Burns and Allen. For those two friendly hands, George Burns and Heinz Honey, Gracie Allen. And in February of 1940, in the presidential race between Franklin Roosevelt and Wendell Wilkie, a woman ran for president. Long before Clinton secured the nomination for a major political party, there was another woman blazing a trail. Gracie Allen. Hello, Gracie. Coming down to the studio tonight, I saw a big banner saying vote for Gracie. Yeah, I know. All over town, I see billboards saying put Gracie in the White House. Mm -hmm. It's in the newsreels. It's in the papers. Signs right here on the stage saying send Gracie to Washington. What does this mean? Well, George, I'll let you in on a secret. I'm running for president. So how did the origin story of this come about? One version of the origin of how this idea came about was it reportedly happened when Gracie was just at home making a sweater and she said she had been making it forever and that she'd like to run for president much to the surprise and I can only imagine amusement of her children but another is that a writer couldn't come up with anything the writers in the writers room couldn't come up with anything because she had done everything already except run for president they said either way george burns her supportive husband said sure if the nation's going crazy vote for gracie she went on other radio shows in this pr stunt here she is on the jack benny show man hello hello look miss i'm very busy and i, I oh don't... hello gracie jack it's gracie allen oh <laughs> Hello. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Don. Hello. Hello, beautiful. Hello, Gracie. Oh, fine. <laughs> Gracie, you're the only one in the world that thinks Phil Harris is beautiful. Oh, yeah, and so do I. You'll excuse me. Oh, I'll... Jack. Uh, Jack, did you know I'm running for president? President? Oh, yes, I heard about it. Where's George? Well, he's out digging up worms so I can go fishing. She did all the fun things. Creating a slogan, down with common sense. Why? It's too common, of course. She didn't have a major party backing her, so she just created her own party. The surprise party. Say, Gracie, 
Gracie, what's going to be the name of your party? Well, Truman, you've heard of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. Yes. Well, mine's going to be the surprise party. How'd you happen to call it that, Gracie? Well, my daddy's a Democrat and my mother is a Republican. And when I was born, I was a surprise. We're here to do a broadcast. You know, the Democrats have a donkey and the Republicans have an elephant. What have you got, a squirrel? Oh, I wish I'd thought of that. Hmm. But I posed with a kangaroo. Kangaroo. Well, it'll make a wonderful campaign picture. Bet. It was a mama kangaroo, and the little baby kangaroo was sticking his head out of the pouch. And it's a got... baby kangaroo sticking his head out of the pouch. Yes, and it's got to be my election slogan. What slogan? It's in the bag. The stunt went so well that First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt and, of course, her competitor FDR's wife invited her to speak at the National Press. Women's Club, FDR's alma mater, Harvard, even endorsed her. Ouch, that's got a sting for Roosevelt. But Gracie did face criticism for comments made about the Roosevelts, much like a real candidate would. And in an interesting turn, Gracie responded, not in character, but as a politician. The joke that sparked the controversy, not even made by her. Or on the Burns and Allen program. No, it was made on her friend Jack Benny's radio program. It referenced Eleanor Roosevelt's travels. Referencing some criticism at the time that she traveled too much. At the time, the First Lady's travels were widely publicized and a bit unusual, so the audience most likely would have understood the quip. You know, George will be pretty busy after I'm president. You mean between writing a column and flying to Seattle. I know. (laughs) I know all about it. Imagine My Day by George Burns. But interestingly... Gracie responded with an image repair statement, much like a politician would. One listener wrote a column in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette about the perceived offense. The writer acknowledges that the intent was a joke, but said many found it distasteful. And a reader was even cited as being one of the critics in this article suggesting that the little quip may even affect Benny's popularity. What? Now, Gracie responded with a letter, saying she was both surprised and distressed that she said Bob Hope, who had also made a joke about Eleanor's travels, and Jack Benny would be considered to be showing lack of respect for the first family. Her surprise itself indicates It was unintentional. But more than the joke, she is defending her fellow comedian, saying the very thought of disrespect was unintentional. She therefore is denying any wrongdoing. She instead says the listener must have misinterpreted. Gracie also reframes the idea of ridicule by spinning the first lady's love of travel as a positive thing and makes at a point to note that Eleanor herself jokes about it. And it doesn't hurt when the First Lady invites you over to make a speech, indicating you are friends. Now everyone is laughing with 
the first lady. <laughs> and she has to be taken to task if she slips up unintentionally, which makes critics actually helpers. And so, of course, it's hard to stay mad at Gracie Allen, so the column critic forgave her. When the city of Omaha invited her to hold her convention there, the Union Pacific Railroad offered her a special train from L.A. to Omaha. She did what many candidates did before her, a whistle-stop tour. Stops were made between May 8th and May 14th, 31 of them. Four of them were in Wyoming, spending Saturday night and all of Sunday in Cheyenne before heading to Colorado Monday morning. On the 11th, she was in Rock Springs. The city presented her a sculpture of a kangaroo made from coal from a local coal mine. And it said around 5,000 to 6,000 were on hand to meet her. She stuck around about 20 minutes at each stop. What strikes me is how full this campaign is for being kind of a farce. I mean, just how well thought out this was for being just a whim. I mean, she had a mascot, a motto, a platform of radio, a book, speeches, a whistle-stop tour, a convention, and my favorite, a campaign song. Then I'll be happy on the shelf. If she's elected, I'll be neglected. Then I can stay home and play solitaire and get that silly dame out of my head. funny banter with the songwriter or maybe someone playing him that I couldn't seem to fact check. Now the amazing part 
is the Whistle Stop Tour convention and actual meetings just kind of came together. People were willing to add to the joke and conversation. But the campaign was most likely created for just the dumb blonde conversations such as... Miss Allen, are you in favor of treaties with Europe and Asia? Well, no, no. I'd rather have treaties with sugar and cream. Dominoes? Yes. What do you think of the neutrality bill? Well, if we owe it, let's pay it. Miss Allen, would you recognize Russia? Well, that's hard to say. You see, I meet so many people. Miss Allen, what do you think of our national debt? Well, we ought to be proud of it. It's the biggest in the world. It was just meant to be a punchline for the program. An easy setup for a joke. But people were receptive. She did get votes. (laughs) But maybe less people that actually showed up to see her on the tour. About 3,000 people attended her Omaha convention. But she commented that she was doing well in Wisconsin. And while she wasn't, she did receive votes that was talked about in the paper. But some people did like the idea of Gracie being an elected figure. Even if... It was not president. A town in Menominee, Michigan, reportedly wanted to elect her mayor, but she could not accept because she must live in the town. And she says, a person can't live everywhere. Now that little fact had me going down a rabbit trail of fact-checking because it was mentioned, I believe, in one of George Burns' books, but... I couldn't find a paper anywhere referencing it. I couldn't find an article, only blog post, which you know how reliable the internet is. And I thought, surely a fact like this would show up somewhere. So I contacted some historians in the Menominee area because, as I said, it struck me as odd that a town as small as Menominee would have no articles mentioning this fun fact if they were genuinely trying to create at least a stir and were excited about her. They confirmed my suspicion that although multiple articles published this tidbit and heard it from George's book, it was indeed false. No articles mentioned this, and Gracie, according to voter data in the area, got no such votes. So where did this misinformation come from, and why did it spread? Well, being as most people have probably never heard of Menominee, I believe it was more believable because why wouldn't such a small town want the attention Gracie would bring? Why was there a reason to make up such a detail? It could be any small town. Why Menominee? And I want to thank Larry Epps and Mike Kaufman for helping provide the answer, and Marlene Williams for helping me get in touch with a group of people who could help, and also the kind lady that answered Michigan's Welcome Center when I tried to call Menominee's Center. The town of Menominee was most likely picked because a son of two Menominee residents, Jamie Leeson, I believe is how you say that, later known by his middle name, Mitchell Leeson, a director in the 1940s and 50s, came from the town. Mitchell worked with many big radio stars working on the big broadcast of 1938. And I would like to add, 
a note that the article did not mention is Doris Packer was also from Menominee. She was a popular radio actress in Mr. and Mrs. North, which Gracie Allen later starred in a movie in 1942. Although Allen's run for president was in 1940, perhaps either of these connections mentioned something, although both moved from Menominee as kids. I like the Mrs. and Mr. and Mrs. North connection because it seems more in the line with Burns and Allen. And George Burns, although he says he doesn't lie when it comes to Gracie, maybe after all these years, and depending on the manner it was brought up at first, believed it. So I know that was too long for a trivial detail, but it seems big organizations and media have just taken it as fact. And it was fun to explore and kind of a unique caveat if you are listening to this. If you are, then one of your friends that spouts off this detail, you can correct them. Because Gracie Allen's campaign frequently is coming up in small talk all the time. But if you work at NPR during election time, it might. Now, how successful was her campaign? Well, maybe not so good for Heinz, honey and almond cream. All the handshaking with soft honey and almond cream hands apparently did not boost sales. Despite others calling the publicity a success, the cream had declined in sales and dropped the sponsorship. But when the U.S. got involved in World War II, sales increased because women were joining the workforce, but they wanted to still have soft hands. Although, it's too late for the sponsorship because that was dropped. But Gracie's campaigning wasn't completely in vain. She did receive votes. The range varies depending on who you ask, from hundreds to a couple thousand sometimes several thousand. Dave Leap's Guide to U.S. Presidential Elections has her earning 2,828 votes, with some write-ins not counted, but I'd say that's the medium number. I've seen a wide number. I used to say that 8,000 was the largest I've seen, but I also saw one figure say like 2,300, or sorry, not 2,300, 23,000. I think they meant 2,300 because that's closer. Which I say both 8,000 to 23,000 is unsubstantiated. It's hard to take Gracie's campaign too seriously, but as I said before, some sourpusses did. Wood Soans is another one of them. He wrote several articles critical of the campaign, writing what you might normally hear about a third-party candidate distracting and taking away votes from the real candidates and making a mockery of issues that should be thought of seriously and jeopardizing our system, blah, blah, blah. That's the kind of stuff he was saying about Gracie. And it's hard to take this 
as anything but very critical because he did it in a mean spirit. Because one of the things that Soane said had to sting if Burns or even Benny had read it. It referenced an actual quote-unquote scandal. Yes, the Allens had an actual controversy beyond remarks. In corruption, you may want to listen to the episode where I talked to Professor Kathy fuller Seely, where we get a bit more in-depth about this issue. But basically, George Burns and Jack Benny were accused of smuggling jewels. Really, it was a government employee trying to curry favor for the stars, saying he could bring it back to America for saving them, you know, money at customs, you know, a couple hundred. But they were accused of smuggling as they didn't realize he was unauthorized to do so and he got caught. But Soans writes that Gracie should have known better than to run for president, adding radio stars do whatever the press agent says, saying, quote, surely the gems weren't the press agents too. <whistles> Ouch. Well, Soans didn't need to fear about Gracie hijacking the election because Gracie dropped out before the election day to let people focus on the real candidates. Another semi-unverified detail is that it's true Gracie wrote, or rather had ghostwritten, a book of advice on running for president. But I have seen a picture of Gracie reading her book to Red Cross nurses. The caption on the internet says, Gracie donates book sales to the Red Cross. Now, I don't doubt this to be too far from the truth, the search reveals that Gracie Allen seems to donate a lot to the Red Cross, and she did what she could for the army, and such causes that help nurses, but I can't find the actual article where this photo came from. I love so much about this campaign, the fact that a woman ran for president in 1940, and although it was a joke, it garnered a lot of attention. Also, the fact that it was a joke... It still rings true north every election. More true even with every election, it seems. The ridiculousness of the pomp and the circumstance and the expectations of politics is magnified. It's my theory that jokes lessen everyone's defenses. And it allows for serious discussion. Or... A joking thought suddenly takes root and becomes thought-provoking. It destroys barriers and reshapes our thoughts when we look at a problem not from a defensive angle, but one of openness. I'm not saying Gracie's campaign was anything but pure fun, but her knack for making nonsense sure made a lot of sense. A scary thought when you recognize nonsense as the more sensible approach. For example, in her campaign song, Even big don't know do. that rings true. Who truly knows how to solve the world's problems with total certainty? And if you're being honest with yourself, even if you are well-educated or know 
It all, it seems. Do you truly know it all? Perhaps your guess is as good as Gracie's. Maybe I like the campaign for its tenacity. To just keep going. It got the ball rolling and then just took it and ran. It's the Roosevelts, for goodness sake. Who runs against a Roosevelt? Besides Wilkie. A Gracie. It had all of the fun with none of the politics. But yet, all about the political machine. Perhaps Gracie knew she was making statements. Paving a future. For women. Sure, they were laughing now. But as discussed, laughs can be thought-provoking. And it put before all the women had been met with a fair level of scorn in politics when it came to the presidency. Gracie was met with adoration, putting people's guards down so the question could take root. And that root has continued to grow. Gracie really wasn't a dumb Dora. She may have had her book on how to run for president ghostwritten, but it has compelling arguments. If your opponent looks too honest, call him a visionary. There is a point there. People will think their head is in the clouds. That they are too innocent in terms of what to expect. Unrealistic. If he is smarter than you, you can work wonders with such things as crafty and clever. Also, another way to turn a good thing on its head. Crafty sounds like foxy and conniving. Clever reframes the perspective into the subject believing they are better than you. Not a good feeling. With all the mudslinging that goes on nowadays, this last closing bit of advice in the book is a bit hard to believe. No matter what people say about them or what they say about each other, candidates are human beings and we need them. And although these are turbulent times, history shows we gravitate towards leaders, so we do need them. And we need them to be human. And the fact that we can vote to not be managed by a tyrannical king or dictator, we do need that. So excuse me while I sing a song that gives me great joy. Vote for Gracie, vote for Gracie. She's the best little skipper in the mend. Vote for Gracie, vote for Gracie. Won't you please give this little girl a hand? Even big politicians don't know what to do. Gracie doesn't know even money, then do you? So vote for Gracie to win the presidential race. A hundred million strong, that's right, we can't go wrong. Vote for Gracie, keep voting all day long. If you survived all the explanations and the singing, congrats! You're a true blue fan or friend. That must mean you're ready to subscribe to my podcast, All of the Classics, on Anchor. And it can also be found on Apple Podcasts. This was meant to lead up to midterms, but I hope it still was well-received 
nonetheless. As I said before, Gracie's campaign really interests me. To me, there is something magical about it. And even though I did a deep dive this time to explore, I'll probably end up googling more because I just can't get enough. And if you survived my tag out, please follow me on YouTube, all of the classics, on Twitter, True Hope Sears, Instagram, True Travels of Hope. Yes, I know, they're all different. Different phases of creativity. Alright, thank you so much for listening. We're a little late, so good night, folks. This has been a Hope Sears presentation, darling.